Hi friends, welcome to the Kansas City MomCast, a place to learn, connect, and grow in a relevant and intentional way. We're your hosts, Sarah and Megan. Join us as we interview experts in the field and hear from local moms just like you. This is a podcast for Kansas City moms by Kansas City moms. We know that your time is precious and we're grateful you've chosen to spend some of it with us. Thank you for being a part of the Kansas City Mom Collective community. Hi, friends. So I have to tell you, you are in for a treat today. We have the immense honor of sitting down to chat with Kathy Sudeikis, Kansas City mom of three. One of those three being, you guessed it, Jason Sudeikis. We get to hear her story on raising three successful kids in our area and what it's like being the mom of a celebrity. Sit back and enjoy. She is a delight and we're so appreciative of her sharing her time with us today. Let's get started. Hi, Kathy. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, ladies. Let's talk about being a mom. (laughs) Yes, that's what that's what we are here for. So you are you're a Kansas City mom, obviously, which we love not always originally from Kansas City. So can you tell us a little bit about your family and kind of how you guys got here? Oh, gosh. Well, thanks for asking, because I am from a big Irish Catholic family in Chicago. I'm the eldest of seven. And uh, went to school in Denver, Colorado at Regis University and met the love of my life, who was at Regis University and from the south side of Chicago as well. He was from um, South Shore area, which was fine, except he played basketball because he's a big guy. And I sort of had dated football players because they were big guys at wide guys, but not big guys. <laughs> and um, and uh, so that was really great. While we were in college, we got to come home to each other um, pretty regularly each holiday instead of see you in September kinds of things. And um, anyway, we eventually married after we graduated from college and stayed in Chicago. But then um, Dan was drafted just at the very end of the draft operation as it as it was going we were in a draft board on the south side of chicago that the classic chicago seven had burned down way back when and so they hadn't been drafting for about mm, eight or nine months so even though the the draft lottery was in place they gave this particular draft office a, a chance to uh oh get another few people, set of people off to Vietnam. So uh, sure enough, we were married in September and that uh, November 30th, we got a a greetings letter, which was pretty interesting. And um, my dad was a Navy officer. So there was an opportunity since Dan had worked at IBM through the time he was in college and into Boulder and uh, still going to school and all that kind of thing. He uh, found a program for him that was in Washington, D.C. at the Bureau of Naval Personnel right there, Pentagon area. And uh, it was a shorter program than the normal four years and all that kind of stuff. So uh, applied. We ended up in Washington, D.C., which we loved. It was like being in college an extra four years. Mm -hmm. Everyone was there. Everyone was on the run. Everyone was partying. uh, And we used to have going away parties because somebody was leaving the White House or somebody was leaving Congress 
where their, their congressman was leaving and they were going for a new job, or they were in the service and they were getting uh, shipped away. And eventually we thought, well, maybe we ought to have a going away party before there's no one left to come to our party. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, just about that same time, uh, we found out that Jason was uh, expected, didn't know he was Jason, but for years, like lots of couples had discussed fun names. And my husband's Daniel Joseph Sudeikis. And before Jason was really, really popular, we had decided DJS could be Daniel Jason Sudeikis. So we fell into a trap of lots and lots of people in this age group having their kids called Jason, but um, but <laughs> he's our Jason and he's DJS too, and he's proud of the initials as well. Well, um, Eventually, when we were out of the Navy, just within six more months of him being born, we were, um, he was transferred with IBM back to Chicago. I said, we cannot go to a city that doesn't have at least three major league sports teams <laughs> so that we could continue in the lifestyle to which we were accustomed, which was partying hardy and, uh, and going to sporting events. <laughs> When we were transferred from IBM to Kansas City, I was sure I wasn't going. I mean, I half of the people who are here are transplants in Kansas uh -huh. City because we know okay. it's the largest branch office city in about five states. So I thought I'm not going. There are swinging barroom doors and there's cattle poop on the floor <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And one of our dear friends... Um, was we were at a wedding in the group and somebody saying, follow me where I go. Well, I cried through the entire thing and got in the car and moved to Kansas City. <laughs> Under duress, mind you, just like half the wives who've moved here from someplace where their family is not. And yeah. they all think we're crazy living in Kansas. But um, my last story about that transition to Kansas City is we left Jason as a newborn baby mom, first time leaving him um, with my parents, drove down, um, I, oh gosh, um, the road to, to uh, St. Louis, 55, I-55, got down to St. Louis and went due west on I-70. <laughs> and it was a Sunday night. And just beyond St. Louis, we lost WLS radio, pop radio out of Chicago. And I just laughed and giggled. And then we started losing every station except for Sunday night, Bible Belt music. I'm a Broadway girl. And the color was draining from my face like it was G-Force. <laughs> just get me a show tune. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And, and we've used that joke way too often because you can tell even Broadway has lasted all these years in Jason's heart and my girls as well. So kind of fun. That's awesome. So you, when you guys moved here, how old was Jason at that time? He was barely a year old. So barely a year old. And then you guys have two daughters. And we had two girls and, and they were here born at, at St. Joseph's. Yeah. So okay, okay. Kind, kind of, uh, kind of fun, really, really fun. So what were your favorite places as a young mom to go to in Kansas City with? Golly, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. Well, Theater for Young America was one of our spots. It was a, yeah. an easy getaway and the kids were always contained. And I loved when they did parodies of um, nursery rhymes and things like that. And they also did some um, original things that were really, really, really clever and kind of fun. Um, Jason developed really early a taste for Taco Bell. 
which he continues to this day, and even more specifically, Taco Villa on 95th Street. You can always find him there when he's in town, and they call, and, and people tell us all the time that they've seen him there. But more, more than barbecue, which he has his favorites as well, he wears the T-shirt of the four different taco yep. or, um, barbecue places, but um, Taco Villa, I don't see the magic, but <laughs> but it's important to them. They don't I don't have know. So it makes me crazy. Um, so what was what was Jason like as a kid growing up? Oh, wow. Well, besides um, his affinity for for taco culture, what was what was? Yeah, well, he he's um, he was you know uh, a lot of the interest in and in inspector gadget and all those kinds of uh, intricate kinds of things he and his friends uh weren't necessarily star wars but they were into all these games solving problems and things like that um they uh did get a video camera what we did one year and they started making fun videos out on 95th street um like during christmas season when they sell um Christmas trees on the corner of 95th and Antioch. One time they went there at like two in the morning and pretended to be selling Christmas trees to complete strangers who were buying them. <laughs> so oh, the jeweler is how I describe him. But I was trying to think real young. Um, I know that he had to wear a uh, preppy sailor clothes a lot which always wasn't his favorite but yeah. as a part of a big family you know we were all about the same dresses for the girls and color coordinated for the boys and he wanted to know when he got old enough what was the statue of limitations for having <laughs> to dress alike <laughs> he was done with that but yeah. uh, you know blessed we were to stay close to the Chicago family and went home every every Christmas and uh, eventually, as they got bigger, I would take the Penny's catalog when it came in September, sent them in a room and let them pick a few things. And then I would call Penny's and smart mom had it shipped to Chicago. So they were hid away in, in my mom's house. And then we would leave like on the 22nd or the 23rd, whenever school was out and um, and go there and and have fun. And then as they got older, because we were bringing back the presents and they were bigger, um, we did Christmas morning here and we uh, left about 1130, 12 and just an hour flight. And that was a piece of cake. So I joke that you all you miss is peeling potatoes at mom's house. You know, if you do, you do it that way. But there's a classic story. Our youngest, Lindsay, um, who's off and on living in Ireland right now, still actually, um, she's just home for the summer, but I was with her in May, uh, seeing Ireland Lindsay's way, which was incredible. Um, but uh, she, she got a Puffalump Zoe doll for, for Christmas. And when two hours later, when the living room was clean and they were putting on their backpacks, uh, Lindsay had the big Zoe under the arm, the long one, like five feet one kind of thing. Squishy, but five feet tall. And mom said, no, I'm, this mom said, they'll, you know, we're, we're not taking Zoe to, um, <laughs> to Chicago. She's like, yeah, okay. She went and stuffed it into her backpack completely. So the big kids knew that she had the stuffy and, you know, they were putting stuff over me like that all the time, right from the beginning. 
right from the beginning, always devious of, of you know, of fun things that weren't consequential, knock on wood, but, but thinking they were getting a leg up all the time. And uh, we got to the airport and we were a little bit early in those, in the old airport, those big wide corridors. And all of a sudden there's a commotion in front of us and it's pre having to go through security and stuff. So everything's kind of right there. Big commotion in, in the big corridor. And, and I look and it's, oh my God, it's our kids. And I go to walk over there. Lindsay has pulled Zoe out of the backpack, thrown Zoe on the floor. Jason is now on top of Zoe doing mouth to mouth resuscitation on the fake Zoe. A woman comes over going, I can do CPR. I can do CPR. And, and all three of the kids were stepping back one at a time, as was my husband and I, as were we were. And uh, and when she realized it was not a real person, ooh, they got a talking to. This was inappropriate. You could have, you know, could have been somebody serious. And... Kind of back, semi back to the Zoe story and tying into another question. So was he... Because Jason's hysterical. Was he always funny from the beginning, or was this like a an evolved? No, no, he was always funny, but you know, delivered the under the breath one liners kind of thing. He was not the class clown at all, at all. But his friends all knew he was funny. And um, oh, in eighth grade at Holy Cross, uh, Sister Kathleen called Dan and I to the office. Um, to talk about an art project that Jason had done. And he sat in the chair with us and went, it's not mine. It's not mine. No, he had taken his friends, a little guy, and made him an anatomically correct stick man. Hey. Yeah. Which made its way to the principal's office. And she was a nun who loved bad boys and lo like loved my husband, loved. It was all she could do not to laugh and giggle, you know, about the whole thing. But yeah, to this day, he'll he'll respond, not mine. It was somebody else's. Yeah, but you. He was, he was you framed. Fixed it. Yeah. <laughs> we also never saw a, port, a, a credit card. A report card before it was all online and that kind of stuff. Yeah. To this day, never saw the girls' report cards after that. His 16th birthday, stopped seeing it. I don't know whether he bribed the mailman and took the mail at the thing or stopped it somewhere else along the line, but absolutely. We'd go to a basketball game and sit in the stands with other parents, and someone would eventually say, How about those report cards? What'd you think? And Dean and I'd look at each other. <laughs> report cards are out <laughs> the next morning we were on the phone I have said since then that if Jason was just a little bit younger and the computers were more uh you know he was it was much more of his age than just a generation above him kind of for everyday use that he would have been the kid who figured out how to get into the report cards and change the grades okay at what point did he decide that he was interested in going into acting and when he did decide that and obviously wanted to, I'm assuming, wanted to go big, how did you feel? As a mom, how did you feel about that? Well, a handful of things. Remember when he was growing up and I have all these seven siblings in Chicago that, bless, we were able to stay close to, even though we were in different cities. And um, all but three of the seven moved to another city. So we made a point to come back and be together. Um, 
and the sibling, the cousins all grew up pretty, pretty close. But also my brother George was Norman Shears. So through the height of um, their grammar school days and stuff, they were, I mean, we'd been to the set, they'd seen him on television, they'd seen crowds react to him, they'd, you know, all of those kinds of things. And they knew, A, you didn't talk about it, <laughs> because someone else would mention it first, and they just understood that those were kind of the rules. And B, you never asked him for anything that that would be, you know, you never promised him that he'd be at somebody's birthday party or fundraiser or any of those kind of things. Both of those things were completely off limits. And then, uh, of course, there was theater in the park through those next, that next generation Jason really didn't do that because he ate breathing and was sleeping basketball by that time. Theater had nothing to do with it. He went to the dance studio to pick up the girls or to hang because don't you know all the pretty girls were there? <laughs> when he has said that, he wasn't so dumb after all. He, he also <laughs> describes himself as being able to do the scene in Chorus Line where the brother says, I you know, ran off to school. My sister forgot her tap shoes. I can do that. I can do that. And he, he will proceed to sing that because you saw when he was um, in Ted Lasso and certainly on Saturday Night Live and doing the classic Running Man and all of those terrible, <laughs> jaded and old and dated tricks. But um, yeah, he could do all that kind of stuff after hanging out with the girls and watching them in action. So. So I didn't really push. Again, basketball was everything, summer, winter, fall. Um, and one teacher said to him in sixth grade, I think, Jason, and the, the off chance that the NBA doesn't find you here in Overland Park, Kansas, I think we should do our English. <laughs> he, he repeats that a lot because now he, he writes for a living and he thinks it's pretty ironic that, that that was the thing that was his downfall even at Shawnee Mission West I mean his teachers said the papers were really terrific so once he heard that he never turned in a paper again his diploma was blank and it's still signed at Shawnee Mission principal uh, West principal's desk <laughs> and I want him to, uh, they want him to come get it like, uh, or to give it to him on a, a big slick weekend. And uh -huh. I keep saying, no, let's find out when he's coming and have a um, an assembly at West where all the kids can come and they could give it to him. Be much more fun. Were Jason and Paul Rudd, were they there at the same time? No, you know, Paul has those outrageous, fabulous genes from the Fountain of Youth. I mean, a little and, bit. Uh, you know, the sexiest man alive still looks <laughs> like he's 32. He's uh, over 50, <laughs> may I say. Four years out of well, Closer to my age. <laughs> um, but anyway, he, uh, yeah, no, they were about six years apart. You asked how we found out he had made the switch one morning there was commotion like 6 a.m on a Saturday not normal at our house Dan got up went to Jason's bedroom and said um what's going on where are you going he was in khakis and a white shirt button-down shirt and all that kind of stuff and he said oh I joined the forensics team we're going to a meet forensics huh <laughs> what are forensics and who are you kidding you're not you know where are you going to get in trouble Went to college on a basketball scholarship. The basketball, um, the theater coach said, heard that he was George's 
godson and, and nephew and asked him to do the Fantastics, which is one of my favorite plays. He grew up listening to um, uh, try to remember the kind of September and all those kinds of things. And I think he said to himself, um, no one's going to see me here. <laughs> I ought to give it a shot. And yeah. so he did. And I've tried for years to get the video of that as the good mom, because the girl who played the girl, um, her parents had videotaped it then and never was able to actually get a copy, but would kill to find out, you know, if there's any footage of that. And Dan reminded me that he did one other play as well. But um, the basketball coach was not happy about his extracurricular activities, may I say. So Jason was driving back to Kansas City and doing comedy sports, which is the improv um, operation that's family friendly. And if you say something naughty or inappropriate, they put a bag, paper bag over your head so you can take the soccer teams, you can take whatever. I think it's called Comedy City now and, and it's still around. So anyway, did that and then uh, came home for a bit and lived in the basement. Oh yeah, wasn't there a movie? Jason lives in the basement or something. <laughs> I don't think it was that exact name, but mom was getting a little goofy around the edges that he's not gonna do a thing. And George took him under his wing and said, look, kid, if you want to do improv, um, you've got the talent. I've shared that with your mom. We just don't want you to get burned out because this, you know, you're going really hard at this stuff and um, you can do commercials in Chicago so much more than here. Uh, so he, uh, uh, he said, I'll keep your mom at bay. <laughs> he tells that story too. Was she, was I panicking? Get a real job, you know, like my father before me and my mother before me would say to George, and once he was in Chicago, he was um, focused, so incredibly pin focused on seeing every type of theater, seeing all the improv, seeing all the great Chicago stuff that's at um, the, the university, at the Art Institute and all of those kinds of things, every kind of talent. And, and when people ask him for advice, he says, see everything you can see. And people ask me all the time, do I get nervous when he's on stage? Um, when he was very first at Second City, my generation grew up there. I actually took my brother George to do that when he said he didn't want to grow up and do work for his father. <laughs> when he graduated from Rockhurst College, I said, well, I've been going to Second City in Chicago. And it was the very, um, the hippest place in town, you know, Black Box Theater with Elaine May and Mike Nichols and Joan Rivers and who knows else, it's 50 years later, but um, everybody you can think of who's a comedian. And uh, and so he he w went there, George did, and we snuck around and, and saw him in the daytime uh, to, to uh, on a Sunday afternoon. And we were sneaking around the walls and we sat behind all of the six people that were in the theater. And... Uh, they said you can sit here I said no no he doesn't want to we don't he, we don't want him to know we're here Jason then followed in the footsteps that many years later did the workshops did all of that kind of stuff did something called JTS Brown which is where um, um Tim um Farley Chris Farley and and all those people started at the Annoyance Theater and at the Improv Olympic and um 
eventually was a cast to go to Las Vegas and open a show in Vegas, a Second City Review. And after years and years and years of success, if maybe not a, a, every skit in the 90 minutes, kind of a la Saturday Night Live, enough memorable skits to do the best of. And whenever there was a best of Saturday, uh, of Second City, you knew every scene was tried and true. Every scene was a killer, like somebody lying in a casket in front of you at a funeral and each person coming up and trying to be polite and generous and loving and tearful. And they start to giggle, 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 giggle. And everybody who comes and it was the church giggle, you know, not the ha ha ha, but <laughs> kind of giggle where you don't want it to happen. And, um, because uh, the guy in the casket had died because he got his head stuck in a can of baked beans. <laughs> so every that's the inside joke that no one really knows at the beginning of the skit, but that's why they're all laughing. You know, so there were there were all those kinds of of memorable one of my other favorite ones was a blackout where where someone comes running out and and says, I'm a morning person and they're doing the, the making the coffee and opening the thing and open the things. I wake up with the dew and the husband comes out and goes, <laughs> just blackout. You know, just, no, no, we don't do morning person in this house. You know, just clever things like that. So he did that. It's at, at Saturday night live. Or he did that at second city and he would have, um, it was during COVID. So they were scheduled when they started to do 15 shows a week, two a night and all that, went back down to just doing eight shows a week and then were six shows a week. And the cast went from 15 to seven and they became all really good friends. And Jason ended up marrying one of those people. Um, and then she transferred to um, something called Boom Chicago in Amsterdam. And it was just like, uh, Second City in Chicago. It was started by two Chicagoans. It was a black box theater. And um, Seth Meyers started there and Jordan Peele. And Seth's brother, um, Josh, was was there as well. A whole lot of fun people. And, and of course, Jason. And um, it, he was afraid to leave the Second City family because he was afraid he'd you know, lose out on the progression of moving up the food chain there. And they said, no, you know, if you go we promised we will have a job for you when you come back. And so that all worked out. And then he said, I can't do the best of anymore. I want to create. And um, so they were putting up a new show and Jeff Richmond, who was ex second city is Tina Fey's husband and musical director. And he uh, was directing and he told Tina about Jason and, and Tina had remembered seeing Jason on the main stage and things. And um, so they asked him to come to LA. Oh, in the meantime, <laughs> asked him to come to New York. This is another great side, a side story. We get there and we get to Vegas because we got to go like once every six weeks or so. There was good air service between here and there, not the, the mess and expense that it is now. And, and we would take friends and it was always really great, but they would, um, uh, he, he ran with people that worked there as well in the city, and he became good friends with the Blue Man Group. 
So oh. he decided he wanted to turn himself into a blue man. So he hung out there 24, you know, anytime he was free and that kind of stuff and studied the whole thing and that kind of stuff. Then finally they, they have, because it's such a physical thing and they do like four shows a night, they have like 20 blue men that are all painted blue. So you can't tell the difference anyway. So anyway, he went to the audition, he drummed, he drummed, he did all the other stuff. They flew him to New York. They even painted him blue. <laughs> He's for, for weeks had blue in his nose and everything. He decided <laughs> he did not like his, his bald head blue. <laughs> he didn't have one of those kind of heads that would work. And I kept saying, are you sure you want to do this? When you're at Second City, you are anonymous, kind of like playing for Notre Dame football. You don't get your name on the back of your jersey. You you are for the good of the team. And he said, I said, if you go underground as a blue man, you know, life will be even that much more remote in terms of uh, being on a talent and, and being found. And he said, no, but I don't want you to turn out like the mom we talk about in the elevator in the hotel all the time, who um, says to whoever gets in the elevator, so have you been to see Blue Man yet? My son's one of the Blue Man. That's when he went to Saturday Night Live and uh, went as a writer for two seasons. And then after being, um, he was in a, a skit where he played Jim McMahon and the Chicago Bulls, Chicago Bears winning uh, the Super Bowl. And Lauren hired him to go beyond stage for like the last six weeks of the season because he said, we're in a transition year. We're going to be bringing all sorts of new people on, um, Andy Sandberg, Bill Hader, Kristen Wiig, that whole thing. And if you have a little bit of this under your belt, you can kind of be the big brother. So that was that was kind of fun. And and so that's where it went and stayed there for, you know, nine years. Yikes. You have to sign a seven-year contract at Saturday Night Live. So Kathy is, I mean, you were familiar with, like, show business growing up, but as Jason has kind of ascended into more prominent roles. Um, how do you deal with, I mean, it's not just the formal reviews from like newspapers or entertainment magazines. It's like social media and comments on news articles. Do you read those? And how do you, you know, um, my funniest experience is being at home at night and uh, turning on a, a nighttime TV show and seeing your kid come out and talk right. about you or your husband or you know <laughs> something that just happened that's kind of the most surreal thing that happens yes. and at first he would if he told a story about Dan he would call him and warn him because they tape him at like 5 30 at night to go live it or to go on at 10 30 uh, but eventually and even he told us when he had his first skit on Saturday Night Live and never mentioned it again because they cut things they cut things in that last half hour to, for time and for what was funny and what isn't. And Lauren Michaels works his magic and then a show goes up with or without your skit when you told your grandmother she was going to be in it. Yeah. And Kohler used to say that all the time. I'm so mad. I was waking <laughs> up for the skit. Um, anyway, she, you know, that it, he just never told us when he was going to have something on. And my siblings all across the country and their kids were like come on give us a heads up I said we would give you a heads up if we had a heads up so Dan still to this day tapes Jimmy Kimmel Seth Meyers Jimmy Fallon every night just to see if he shows up because who knows I hate a lot of the stuff in the 
on social media, but there's also such reaffirming groups for Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is life and stuff like that. They've asked me to be a guest on that podcast a couple of times. Um, I got the biggest kick about knowing that he had cast or that he had written the story about his mom, you know, for this season. It's called Mom City, like Man City is Manchester City. So it's called Mom City. And actually, he hired an actress who has been to three big slicks, a New York (laughs) stage actress who is married to Dylan Baker. Her name is Becky Ann Baker. If you look at her IMBD or anything about her, she's been in the mom in a million things. And, you know, you'll go, I know who that is, but you can't put it together. At Big Slick, we had the best shtick going between the two of us. Matter of fact, she was hanging off of Dan at one point as for pictures for a joke. And somebody was introducing Dylan um, from the stage and I ran up to him and said honey I didn't know you were here <laughs> and just kind of silly stuff like that and she she would tell everybody she was Kathy approved as, yeah. as mom lasso it's not that easy and the whole personal life thing was really ugly to say oh, the least you know yeah. just really hard to watch because we were knowing both sides of what was going on and stuff and sure. and uh some things don't go exactly right, but uh, life is very much on keel right now. The kids were here for Big Slick. We were there for the um, last episode of Ted Lasso. We're all going to a family event, 84 of us. How does a mom tell the kid how proud she is of them? You know, it, it's my biggest regret that they didn't get that message all the time and people say it's because I traveled too much or something if they're mad at me and and I say yeah that that was a concern because in the travel business I was gone a lot um but Dan's mother lived here so I had that backstop and I was really 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 diligent about trading things for carpools and stuff like that. If I was in town, I would drive both ways to the dance studio, pick up after school, soccer games, all that kind of stuff. Um, So that I felt like I was off the hook on the days that I was away. But there's been more than one occasion where I've opened uh, my carry-on in New York City for to go to, to close it for a meeting and find Lindsay's uh, number 12 (laughs) basketball shirt. Oh, that was supposed to stay at home. <laughs> now what? <laughs> Could well, you get some masking tape and get a t-shirt to, to one of my friends? But, you know, it, that was that was really um, an important part of it. But for a while there, I was feeling like I was gone too much. But um, after the fact, after, as, as an adult, now after they're all grown. And um, God love them. I finally came to the, kind of realization in my uh, maturing that uh, you can't be there for everything. And they all turned out so lousy. <laughs> what would they have given up? What cruise? What, what trip to Europe? What, you know, and, and they none of them made good, which is, you know, just such a joke that it's crazy. I mean, one is more fabulous than the other. If you think Jason has is generous and kind and and um and talented and smart all of the above but his sisters he will tell you they are um they are exceptional i mean Lynn, we they call themselves the um body mind and soul 
So oh. I have the t-shirt, the sweatsuit that says that because Jason's the mind and Kristen's the body and Lindsay with all of her deep, deep, deep um, con- um, huh, sessions with people and uh, ancestral healing and all that kind of stuff. She's definitely the soul soul of our our family too. I'm curious how with three kids they seem to all get along great and think so highly of each other. Um, what do you think you did to foster that, Kathy? Tell us, tell us, tell us the us. secret. Yeah, the secret. Well, m- way back to my mom. <laughs> my mom would never uh, let us fight, and I mean, or hold grudges essentially. And I don't remember it so much when we were young, but if I would come to town, she'd say, let's call Tommy, you know, who was married and living, whatever. And and everybody would show up at the house when any of us were were there. And she couldn't, she would not stand for anybody having a lingering grudge. No, you know, she snubbed me at the baptism or something like they do on the housewives. <laughs> that kind of stuff. She just wouldn't stand for that. And it made her friends kind of crazy. They'd say, you and your damn kids on television and, and not fighting with each other and stuff. But um, we had very, very few rules around here and, and they will agree, but they uh, couldn't go out on a Friday night and spend the night if um, they hadn't planned it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. There was never a phone call at curfew that said, oh, we're staying at Sue Ann's house. Her mom's home. Everything's fine. Eh. It always led to trouble. It always was this cover for something else. Even Jason, you know, no change of plans in the middle of things. Um, and 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 it worked a little bit. And no leaving the dance studio in dance studio clothes where there's creepy men and life goes on around you. You will not dance for a week if you get caught outside the building. And if you don't have homework or got a homework alert, you couldn't dance for a week either. So those things meant more than life to, to those, to those guys. Um, I tried to do the same with basketball for Jason, but you know, he was, he was so much at Ferris Bueller doing so many things. Once we heard a story about how they drove my Maxima station wagon, little silver down 98th street and to 99th street and went across to us to mission on 99th street every Monday, taking out garage cans with my car. <laughs> yeah, and like four weeks in a row until I mean, the why not? were out why on not? 99th Street. <laughs> good old, the good old days. Yeah, and I also, I also love to tell people who say, oh, my kid just doesn't have it together, you know, that we've been in orange jumpsuits in this house, you know? <laughs> there, is, there is hope for everyone. You know, so I always feel a little guilty when people say, my kids just, you know, I can't get them out of the basement and I can't get them to move away and that kind of stuff. And I really try and take them through, you know, some traumatic thing that we went through just so that they feel like, um, you know, it can, it, it, the, the success is not tied to what you did as a kid. And you can't tell who's going to be what. I, that was one of the things we previously had talked about is, did you know? And um, I knew he was clever. I knew he was funny. I knew he was glib and well-spoken um, and, and devious and mischievous. But I, I joke that you could sit in the back row at church today 
and look at all the kids staring back at you because the parents have brought them and they're all looking at you in the next in the pew behind and figure out who is going to be the nurse who's the teacher who's going to relish being a mom who's going to who's going to be the next one from Johnson County on television because that's what Jason learned by having his his uncle in, in TV you know schleps from Kansas can do this mm-hmm. and not that they were schleps but they they can break through and it can be as ordinary as anybody else we'll look at like Heidi Gardner going to Scion and stuff like that I mean so much talent and so much fun in the dance world my Christian dances professionally in New York and at auditions they'll say you're one of those Kansas kids aren't you <laughs> what's in the water there Really, they can pick them out in an audition of, you know, like 30 people. One of the other things I did when I was telling you about carpools is that I set the alarm in my office for 2.50 every day. And at 2.50, it'd go off and I'd go, oh, okay. <laughs> am I, who am I driving? Which direction am I going? Am I taking boys? Am I taking girls? Do I have to stop home? Do I, and, and I'd be out of, I'd be out of the door by 315 to get whoever, whatever, and then do the thing. And then my girls would stay in the dance studio for hours at a time. I mean, it was their life. And Jason would stay in a basketball court till the cows came home. So I'd go back to my office and I'd make work my East coast clients um, in the morning hours and then in the afternoon, when it was only three o'clock and I was getting back at five o'clock, it was sort of lunch hour. I'd, I'd work that kind of st- stuff. So, I, you know, I, you've got to just compartmentalize your life. You've got to uh, do what you want to do so that you can be a whole person and and feel good about yourself. And, and there'll be tough times. It's the being in two places at one time that breaks your heart every single time, whether they're 11 or whether they're 31, you know, it it doesn't get any easier. But again, how proud can you be? I mean, just especially that they're such nice characters and have such, you know, not just reputations for being out there, but being being um, considerate, kind. <laughs> every Makes mom. me cry every single time I that cry. I think about it. Kathy, you kind of you kind of um, led us to our our final question. So being a mom is um, not for the faint of heart. So what, is there any like one piece of advice you would give to moms in Kansas City? You know, we are blessed by having pretty well-rounded lives here in the Midwest. We're not, um, the kids aren't stressed going to school on buses and on subways and in cement streets, or even in the suburbs where, you know, we have some pretty fancy cars, but in New York and in LA, that those are everyday occurrences that, that could stress you out about not having what the, um, the Joneses have, that kind of stuff. I think if your kids feel secure about themselves, uh, and they try to be good to each other. That's such a hard thing to say because stealing barrettes and socks is, you know, <laughs> comes with the territory. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's part of the fighting. I think it's not it's not the big issues. They would be there for each other and as a ride or die. But um, so it's it's a little bit easier living in the Midwest to try and get these values. They'll see them. I mean subtle things like kids would get out of my car at carpool because I told you I shared a lot of that um 
And if they didn't say thank you, <laughs> I say you're welcome. Uh -huh. Everybody else is left in the car. Oh yeah. And my mother-in-law, who is here, would say, "And you don't just say thanks. You say thank you, Mrs. Smith, for the ride home." Full sentences. You know, I mean, those little things that you can still control when you're a mom more 24 seven than you get to be when they're, you know, hit double digits and teenagers and stuff. You know, I think, I think that's your only saving grace, but expect, expect there to be trauma expect, and please God just have it be something that can go away and you can be like a goldfish. You can forget about it in six seconds if you really want to. Yeah, that's so good. Kathy, thank you so much. This has been a blast talking to you. So much fun. So fun of you to do this. And thank you very much. Again, talking about my kids is one of my most oh, favorite yeah. things. Kathy, thank you so much. Have a great day. It's been my pleasure. We all know that life happens big and small. Whether your family is welcoming a new baby, experiencing an emergency, or in need of a primary care provider, you can trust Advent Health South Overland Park to be with you every step of the way. Located at 165th and 69th Highway, Advent Health South Overland Park offers a full range of medical services, including heart care, surgery, birth center, and a 24-7 ER. Advent Health South Overland Park brings expert care in a warm, soothing environment so that you can get back to feeling whole. Learn more by visiting adventhealthkc.com backslash southop. Thank you again for spending part of your day with us. We would love for you to share this podcast with other Kansas City moms, as well as rate and review, as this helps others find us. We would also love to hear from you, whether it's to share what you loved about today's episode, an idea for a future topic, or just to tell us how you're doing. We are here for you. You can email us anytime at kcncpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time on another episode of Kansas City Momcast.